I was getting paid, especially at higher levels. Like my compensation was that high, but that culture made me absolutely miserable. There's no amount of money will be able to justify that. There are more things to this to life than money. Money, money will come if you leave your purpose. This is Chan with The Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actionable steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Chen here. How's it going? Hey, Max. Doing very well. How are you? Good. It's been a while since we talked. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, how's, how's things? How's, how's Caseware and your role as a recruiter? Everything is going great. I've joined this in, on March 15 last year, 2021. So it's been about, what, 15, 16 months. Yeah, it's been a wild ride completely. But I think I've touched every single area of business. So a lot of interesting roles, a lot of challenges, lots of ambiguity and navigating ambiguity. All right, so things things keep me busy, and but I do enjoy working here a lot. And this is your first job in Canada in a recruiting capacity, right? You can say so. Like the first one, like I arrived. I'm, I don't know if I still qualify as a newcomer, but I arrived in October 2019. So my first role was with a nonprofit organization, and I was a job developer, aka work for specialist. Which ironically, I was a newcomer, but it was my job to connect newcomers, and not only newcomers, but like job seekers of all kinds with with the company. So you can imagine a lot of cold calling, a lot of business development and selling, but on behalf of the clients, right? So recruitment, but on behalf of the clients. And I've been doing this for a year. It was a contract role. And the next one was like a natural progression towards talent acquisition. But you're right. Like first job in corporate Canada, first job in talent acquisition, first job in tech, everything, a lot of firsts. So going into that discussion, a lot of professionals have a struggle to transition their career. For example, if you're coming from India or China and you're trying to get your first job in Canada or US, they find it difficult. Another issue would be trying to pivot roles. So let's say you're in marketing and you want to get into product management. And then the other one, as you mentioned, trying to switch industries. So let's say you were in telecommunications or finance and you're trying to get into tech. So you've done all three, I think all at once too. So what is your advice and learning lessons that you could provide to my listeners on how to pivot so many times in your career to get to where you want to go? 100%, yeah. I think I was, first of all, I was very lucky and I was very blessed, but this is what I tell everyone. If you want to luck and God accompany you and like the universe unfold all the opportunities in front of you, you should be audacious. And I think that's, a, that's my LinkedIn post from last week. I think that we're not in career design and as well as job hunting, you're not playing chess. Being the smartest player is not the most important thing. You're playing checkers. And sometimes you have to be daring. Sometimes you have to be audacious. And I can tell a story about that. But I can give you a perspective of a talent acquisition partner and I can give you a perspective of a job hunter myself, right? As a talent partner, again, I'm on the receiving end, right? But... On the, on, from the candidate's perspective, I think what's important, and this is the concept that I explain to everyone, understand the concept of perception engineering. What is the narrative that you're building in the minds of your target audience, right? And as a recruiter, I'm on the receiving end of it. I need to be able to read your resume, compare it with your LinkedIn profile, compare it with if we proceed to the phone call to what comes out of your mouth. And this story should make sense. And I need to build that perception. 
So whenever you create all your marketing and resume and content, build it around that idea of perception engineering. What is the perception that I want to create? And uh, yeah, and as a talent partner, same thing. When we, when we listen to what you're saying, we want to understand what do you bring to the table? What are the transferable skills? So for me, like my personal experience, right? I have nothing to do with HR whatsoever, but my past experiences have spent 10 years in academia. That's research skills, ability to collect information, process information, synthesize information. I was a startup founder for two years. A lot of team building, a lot of like managing engineering teams. Uh, that was recruitment too, because I need to hire them. It was a distributed remote team. Uh, fundraising, going out there and pitching, business development, all these skills. That's, again, for people who want to pivot, I think functional resume is the way to go. Focus on the skill set and then support it with the story that you have. It's a long-winded answer, but over to you, Max. Wait, let's take a step back. You said functional resume and... I see a lot of career coaches, other recruiters saying that they don't like functional resumes. You should go chronological or reverse chronological from your most recent role to your earliest. But you're saying functional resumes actually are effective, which I've never heard someone say that just from all the content I've seen. So can you elaborate more on that? Because I think that's a good discussion point. 100%. A recruiter, again, and this is what you will hear from all recruiters, right? We're going to say, we spend five, six seconds on the resume. This is how quickly you build this initial perception, right? You have only one chance to get the first impression. Within five, six seconds, the mind of a recruiter, the trained eye will decide, right? Oh, does it deserve, does this resume, does this profile deserve a second look or it's a pass? If you're going from as we mentioned yourself, being a marketing specialist into product management, right? Your chronological resume is not going to build a narrative like that. You're going to look at your, we're looking at two things first, qualitative component and quantitative, how many years of experience and qualitative, what kind of experience. Your chronological resume is going to tell you, hey, my last role was a marketing specialist and you're applying for a product management role. It's a complete disconnect right away. Boom, pass. That's a five seconds perception. Hope that makes sense. On the functional resume side, I would I would say yes, absolutely. There like there should be it should be a hybrid kind of resume. If you focus on your skill set, it's not just the bullets of vague bullets about why you, you are able to do this, but how do you support this? If you say you have this transferable skill, show that you've done this skill and or you've done this kind of work or what kind of achievement you have in another role, in this in another capacity. Right? Yeah, that's my thought process around this. Yeah, so you're saying that if you do a reverse chronological resume and you're trying to transition industries or roles, the recruiter is going to see a disconnect right away because if you are trying to pivot into project management or product management and you're in, let's say, marketing or finance, that will show a disconnect. But if you change it to a functional resume where you highlight your skills and expertise and why it's aligned to this role, you will get a better response rate. I would always say, yeah, think how to, and this is why I think it's very important to to talk to recruiters, right? We're definitely not the best people to network with because you're playing job hunting game. We are playing elimination game. We have one job, 300 people. We need to pick one like and eliminate 299, but uh, still understand how we think. And this is why I go out there. There are like speaking gigs pro bono. Sometimes I even show how I source so that people understand how I think about finding people, finding the right profiles. But you need to develop this ability to look, to like unplug and to take a step back and look at your own resume as a recruiter. 
right? For this particular role, here is a job description. The job description is written by the hiring manager, and it's written for a reason, right? This is exactly what hiring manager is looking for. Does it, uh, is it in alignment with what your resume communicates? And it's a little bit harder to do when you are that, when you're that person on the paper. But uh, that's why it's important, as I said, to kind of network and find people who would give you another opinion, right? If you will. Yeah, going back to the networking with recruiters, obviously, I personally think like recruiters are considered the rock stars on LinkedIn because everybody wants to reach out to them. They get a lot of con- they get a lot of followers on their content. So, with that being said, do you get a lot of people messaging you about, hey, can you forward my resume to the hiring manager? Can you give me an interview? Do you get a lot of those messages? I get a lot of all kinds of messages. And I think we always talk about messaging and how to approach people. And this is why I've also created to build my resources. If you go to my LinkedIn profile in the featured section, there is a link to my kind of Notion website where I build my projects. So like, for example, a guide to for candidates. Because when I came to the country, I didn't know anything. I had to learn everything hard way, how to network, how to do Canadian resume, how to do everything, how to do LinkedIn, how to do content. And I'm not saying that's this should be your Bible, but this is definitely a good start points to understand to get a little glimpse into the talent mind of a talent acquisition partner but yeah in terms of messaging understand what's the job of the person if you are networking with a recruiter we are extremely short-staffed overworked we don't have time we want to just understand our job our job is not to find jobs for people our job is to find people for jobs right that's if you're all helping us we want to meet you if, and honestly sometimes I can't speak for all organizations, but Kaser, for example, my current organization is a very unique place. We sometimes will find an amazing talent and we will see if there is a creative way to deploy their skill set, right? Like maybe we can carve a role for them. Maybe we can do something about it. And if not right now, then at least to have this relationship, we want to have a relationship with the talent in the same way I think talent should want to have a relationship with us, like this long lasting relationship. If the role is not, if there's no role for you right now, Maybe something will come up down the road. I think that's the mentality behind this. What was that quote you said? As a recruiter, you find people for your jobs, but not jobs for people? Is no, our, we, do not, we do not find jobs for people. We find oh, people for jobs. Oh, okay, got right? it. I mixed it up. All right. That's a good yeah. quote. Yeah. Because, they, uh, again, like recruiters work for the company. They don't work for you. So you're not an employment agency. You're trying to find the right fit for that position that you are assigned to recruit for 100 percent, and that's exactly what was my first contract when i was in canada i was looking for jobs for people and definitely build this kind of support systems for yourself if you have if you have an opportunity to go and connect with any kind of there's plenty of different agencies but employment agencies if you have an opportunity to build a support system for yourself definitely do that but at the same time, it's very important to connect with people who are actually in the industry and who understand how the industry works. I'm going to be the first one to admit the system is broken, right? And I'm happy to share like how it is broken today. And uh, But we do what we can do and we do our best, trust me, because our job is to make people, all people happy, right? Not only people in the business, but also the talent that we connect with. Just to take a step back, how did you find a passion for talent acquisition recruiting because when i looked at your linkedin profile this is the first time like as you already mentioned you've done talent acquisition in any capacity yeah interestingly 
I think I was always that, that, that kind of person. It comes to you naturally. I spent 10 years in academia. I hated it. I think I'm intellectually capable of doing science, but every day spending under the hood doing test tubes and experiments, all that just being alone, not connected with people, that it was just driving me crazy. And then talent acquisition is just, I don't call it really work when people like ask me like oh you work so hard etc it's not really work like it's all just a game right that this all you're sitting in the chair all these conversations are happening in your head and you're like matching this complex puzzle right here's the job here's the person then it's the most complex type of sales because in sales product cannot tell you no in our job it happens every day yeah i think it's not a passion for talent acquisition it's a fundamental love for people i just love people and I know, and it comes from my, also my spiritual understanding that, hey, we're all one. We're all the same. We're all connected. It's just, life is complicated enough already. Let's just help each other to survive this. And it's going to be very quick. So <laughs> let's, let's have fun on the road. Let's build cool stuff on the way and let's help each other to, to take it easy. I hope that makes sense. Did you say that recruiters get rejected too? They also face rejection? We are aware candidates ourselves, right? Look at what's happening right now. We were going through this recession time, every day new company. And at this time, and this is my well, like one of the first observations that I have about the current market is that there is a, such a huge injection of talent, especially HR type of talent, because when companies are shrinking, who's the first people to go through the door? That's us. That's talent people. That's HR. We are not, the company is not growing. Talent people, goodbye. So look at the market right now. So many talented people, so many talented talent acquisition partners and uh, get rejected all the times. I've been, I'm the one who's, who's been also supporting and facilitating scaling our team, our talent team here. Last, last month, I think we've hired three talent partners. Yeah, there are many people who I had to reject, unfortunately. But I'm not saying that they wouldn't, they, uh, and again, and I think this is what's important to understand about talent acquisition we pick the people who would be successful in our particular organization. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful anywhere else. You can find the environment, you can find the culture where you're going to rock it and you're going to knock their socks off. So more power to you in finding the environment. If I ever rejected you, right? No hard feelings. <laughs> you made a good point, right? Because people take rejection personal. And as you said, just because you got rejected at your company doesn't mean you can't work anywhere else. You might not be a good fit. And it's better to know that you're not a good fit before you get the job than trying to come up with answers to appease the interviewer. You get the job and you actually hate it because you're trying so hard to get approval for, with them. 100%. And you hear it all the time. All the career coaches on LinkedIn, they will tell you there's no such thing as rejection, only redirection. But we all do the same job. Like sales people, we have a, they have a funnel. Talent acquisition partners, we have a funnel. Right, like we we have our candidates at the top of the funnel, and then we convert them into phone screens, and then we convert them into we push them through the pipeline, right, first, second, third round, and eventually the best of the best gets the offer. Same thing for you. If you're a job hunter, you're in a you're in a sales job. The you have a funnel. You have your leads, the companies that you talk to, your resume applications, and you need to convert them into phone calls. Your phone calls you convert into first, second, third round, which you can eventually need to convert into the offer and multiple offers if you're lucky and good at what you do. So that's the goal. So the quality and the quantity of your offers directly depend on the top of the funnel, on your leads, right? On your mindful approach, on your thoughtful reach outs, on on the quality of your resumes, right? And all that jazz. And recruiters, again, first of the people, because we are candidates ourselves, we remember this. 
And uh, I think I, I would encourage you to put more, everyone who's listening to put more thought into that. Speaking of more thought, just going back to the reach out on LinkedIn, you said that recruiters are not the best person to network with. Why is that? Is it because you get a lot of people messaging you and they're not really tailored? Or is there a way to reach out to you and you will respond? We are not, again, we are not the best people to network to for the objective of finding a job, right? Like to, under, to understand and to get the knowledge, probably yes. To get more data points, probably yes. If you know that you're, you, this is, you're, completely perfect fit for the role. You're going to take the job, secure the job, you're going to rock it. Yes, completely connect. And again, my doors are always open, right? Like I'm always happy to meet new friends. And this is what I tell on my phone screens as well. This is not an interview, right? I'm just building friendships all day long. I want you to be successful everywhere you go. If it's with Kaser, great. If it's not with Kaser, I still want you to be successful. So if I have time on the phone call, I'm going to coach you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to share what I know how to succeed in the process. But 100%, number one reason why we're not the best is because we are playing a different game. We're playing elimination game. Number two, we're super busy, right? We like, I don't know, at a busy time, at a given time, we can, have, we can run a desk with 20, 25 roles. You can imagine if some of them are like developing level, intermediate level, you're going to have several hundred applicants there. There's thousands and thousands of people. And we don't have physical capacity to respond to everyone. And that's the reality of the hiring manager too. If you network with hiring manager and say, hey, they don't respond. Number one, not everyone's on LinkedIn. Number two, they're running projects and they're running teams. And number three, still continue doing that, but be thoughtful with your approach. Now, like third tier of people is actually best to connect with someone who is your potential peer or your potential teammate. And this is a, they might be slightly less busy and more open to connection. Yeah, that's a good point. When I work with clients, I always say it's okay to reach out to recruiters, but you should really focus on your peers, the people that you could potentially be working with and one level up that would actually be involved in hiring you. They won't, They don't get as many messages uh, from my experience compared to recruiters because I think the mistake that a lot of professionals think is that recruiters do the hiring, but it's not the recruiter. Recruiter eliminates people and then shortlist the right people that they believe are the good fit and then they move them to the hiring manager and then they decide who they go with. There are two comments on this. Number one, first, look at the organization, right? Well, look at the scale. Do they have their internal talent acquisition team? How big is that? Because in an organization of a scale like Kaser, for example, yeah, you're going to network with your potential peer, right? They're going to take the resume, they're going to flip it to me because everyone should go through the same internal process, right, of talent acquisition. Now, secondly, I forgot what I wanted to say, but (laughs) sorry, what was your point? My point was, so my initial point was, it's not good to contact recruiters on LinkedIn because they get a lot of messages. It's better to contact peers or people that have hiring influence because, again, a, a mistake that people make is that they think recruiters do the hiring. They just they eliminate people, as you said, an elimination game, and then they short they give the handful of candidates they think are a good fit for the hiring manager to actually vet properly. Elimination, exactly. So it is true, yes. The overall job is to eliminate, right? But at the same time, we have other agendas too. Our job is also to grow the network. Our job is to build brand awareness, job awareness, and honestly, for many of us, personal brand, because these things go hand in hand. For example, I know that Kaser's brand supporting me, but it works the other way around. And like because of my activity there, I know that my personal brand also supports the goals of the business. Yeah. 
We, there's, there are a lot to unfold here. Maybe we can narrow down with a specific question if you have any. Yeah, for sure. The one thing I want to mention is there's talent acquisition specialists. That's one title. And then the other title is recruiter, right? Are they both one and the same? It's just different title based off how the company wants to name these individuals? Titles, again, look at the organization. Recruiters, we talk usually about, about the agency, people who work for an agency. Talent acquisition, people who work in-house. And sometimes people in-house, they go for an agency. Just And sometimes people from the agency, they go in-house. And uh, yeah, if you're curious, we can talk about that. Okay, so you're saying talent acquisition is more of an internal title, while recruiter is more like agency. 100%, yes. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. I, I didn't know that. I, I thought it just depending on how the company structures their roles. But you can be a recruiter, a technical recruiter within the company. But usually when we say talent acquisition, we talk about someone in-house. And recruiters are normally, we refer to the people who work for agencies. But you can work for a company and be an in-house talent acquisition partner, but your title will be a technical recruiter or something like this. All right. Yeah. So there's a lot of misconception on how a talent acquisition slash recruiter person works. So would you be open to just letting us know like the day-to-day from you posting the job to the vetting and the hiring process? Yeah, 100%. If you ask me about my day-to-day, as I said, I'm working in a sales job. My success depends on the top of the funnel, right? What kind of candidates I find. To be successful, I think it's important for me to spend one, two hours sourcing the candidates, right? Finding people on LinkedIn, reaching out, also asking what's their current situation. And if their opportunity that I can bring in potentially to them will be a, a superior option. And uh, so that's one, like I do a lot of sourcing, I schedule my calls, I meet a lot of candidates. If I, if they're good, I pass and I move them on. How the, how the, I think it's very important to understand the whole mechanism of how the job appears. It can be a net new growth. It can be a new role and we are just expanding. It can be a backfill. Someone resigns or was terminated. And yeah, the role appears, but even before that, the role appears in the hiring manager's mind first, right? So the first person first step where what kind of the first level of the pyramid what they're going to look at is looking at their own network who do i know do i know anyone have i worked maybe with everyone because all hiring teams they work in terms of they think in terms of minimizing risk in hiring decision and minimum risk is where we have maximum data maximum information is obviously if we know the quality and the of the results and the level of work that the person can deliver they can't find anyone next level is they go to the team Hey team, the, what top performance look like? The job, please find me someone. Or they come to us, right? If yeah, they have talent acquisition team internally, right? Telling people, here's the job, here's the person, here's the profile, please go find me someone, right? We collect the job description. Again, job description is written by the hiring manager, but a talent partner would be the person who is calibrating the job description. And we want to make sure that it attracts the right type of candidate. All the questions, pre-qualifying questions that you see on the online application, this is going to be designed by a talent partner. And we post the job. So we have our applicants coming in, inbound, and we have outbound, people that we go out there and we find and source on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, that's the whole process. People coming in, we screen them, we move them through the process. It depends on the role. And uh, yeah, if everything goes well, we convert them into the, to the offer eventually. You bring up a good point about sourcing candidates. I think one of the assumptions is you work with a hiring manager to fill out the job description, you post it on LinkedIn, Indeed, Monster, and then you just sit back and wait for applicants to come in and you start interviewing them. But you actually mentioned that even though you're an internal acquisition specialist, you still have to source your own candidates as well. Can you elaborate more on that on 
why you also have to source candidates and not just wait for candidates to apply for your posting. 100%, yeah. And that, that's the same thing. If you're, again, sales job, for example, how would you how would you sell a product? Would you just put your marketing out there and look for inbound or would you go and find the perfect client who would buy from you? Same, completely the same idea here. And for with the talent acquisition, it's just statistics, right? If you post a job and you get start getting applicants, statistically speaking, for probably 10, 15, 20 applications, there would going to be only probably one candidate who is worthy of a call, a, a solid candidate. And why is that? It's because many people they don't understand how talent acquisition work, works and they just spray and pray. They don't even read job descriptions. They apply if they're underqualified. And we get a lot of applicants from other countries that are not even qualified and, and eligible for work uh, in Canada. So on the sourcing side, obviously, uh, again, what's the minimum risk for us is the data, right? And the data where the, if the person is employed, it means the person is employable. And if the person is doing the right job on, with the marketing, we can see all the numbers, all the KPIs, all the metrics. This is, again, why it's so important to brand yourself properly on, on LinkedIn. We can see, oh, the person actually is a top performer. And this is the person who is the person attracts us with the correct marketing so that we reach out and we talk to them. Obviously, we are the ones we know the job, so we find the right people. So that's the reason why oftentimes, like when people say I apply and nothing's happening, because if I have a limited amount of time, only one hour, and I have two options, one, spend my hour looking at 50 applicants or 50 or 100 resumes. And the quality is going to be, again, as I said, one solid out of 10, 15. Or I'm going to go and spend this one hour sourcing. For me, the and again, I'm quoting Greg McKeon, right? His essentialism concept. The high impact activity for me is to spend this time for sourcing, not for doing applicants. And this is the way I coach my clients too. Like definitely apply online, do the, all the traditional stuff that we do, follow the traditional system, but at the same time, do the untraditional things in order to create and generate your opportunities. It's funny you mentioned, so I understand like people spray and pray, but you have people in random countries applying to your role when they don't have eligibility to even work in the country. Yeah, 100%. And, and we do have even pre-qualifying questions, right? Are you eligible to work in Canada? And people say no, and they still apply. And yeah, I don't know. It's beyond me how this works. Not beyond me, I wouldn't say so. When I'm an immigrant myself, and when I when you're outside of the country, you don't understand anything about how anything works in the country. Was I trying to secure a job before coming to Canada? Hundred percent. And I made tons of mistakes, but yeah, there's so much knowledge. Like thanks to you and your podcast, and so many content creators out there. I hope the message will spread, and people will be more effective and spend less of their time on the activities that do not bring any fruition to them. You mentioned that you look at a lot of garbage resumes, but I thought the ATS screens them out for you automatically. Yeah, I think we. Th this is the question that I get a lot. I even made a video on, and posted it on YouTube. But uh, ATS is not some kind of evil robot that decides what's your destiny and what's your fate, right? ATS is a CRM. Salespeople use Salesforce. We use ATS. It's always a human recruiter that looks at your resume, right? You apply online. ATS is a system in which your profile is automatically generated. It houses your resume, your LinkedIn profile, and whatever information that you send in support, like a portfolio, for example, or a link to a website or your cover letter. And then it's us. It's a, it's a talent partner within the company that's going to look at your profile and who's going to decide to call you or not. That's a good analogy. So 
yeah, sales uses Salesforce as an example, a CRM, and then talent acquisition people as yourself, such as yourself, you use an AT, the applicant tracking system, which is a CRM for candidates. Yeah, 100%. Okay. So there's, uh, yeah, there's no evil robot. There's only evil recruiters <laughs> sitting here and, and rejecting your resume. Your I think it's also important to understand our perspective because even the word that we use, we don't use the word rejection. Instead of reject, we use the word release from the process release this person from the interview process. So it only feels as a rejection. It only feels personal on the candidate's end. But it's, again, yeah, let's go with the cheesy one. It's a redirection. It's a door-to-door sales, right? You, If you have a box of chocolate to sell and you knock on doors, you knock on one door, you're not going to stand there. If it doesn't open, it doesn't open. You just move on, right? Until the, you need only one door to, to be open in front of you. I have seen recruiters that, are being truthful on LinkedIn, stating that, hey, ATS is not a evil robot that auto-rejects your application. It's just an organi- it's just a filing cabinet for applicants. But yet the myth of ATS blocking your resume and you have all these career coaches, other professionals saying that this is how you write a resume to pass the ATS. If recruiters are telling the truth, why is there so much misinformation about the ATS that's still rampant and popular and people still believe it? Because I think partial reason is because there are so many people in the space. There's just this, the space itself of career coaching is super saturated. There are so many people out there who call themselves career coaches, but they've never seen an inside of the ATS. They've never been on the talent acquisition side of things and they've never been a recruiter or any kind of relation to HR. And I think that's always going to be the case in any kind of, in any kind of profession. You will also have your top 1% who, who, do, who are the best at what they do and spread the right message. <laughs> and you will have a lot of noise right? that, is, that comes from people who are probably, I would say, incompetent. So as someone who's job searching and they're on a budget, let's say that they can't afford a career coach, or they, let's say even if they can, there's also like free resources, but with so much content out there, what is your recommendation on a professional finding out who to trust in regards to taking their advice seriously and actioning that advice to get the job they want? That's a good question. I think it, it doesn't matter how much advice you give. You need to go out there, probably make your mistakes because you need to collect your data points. And this is what I tell everyone uh, when, when I coach my clients and I tell them, Hey, if you want to progress in your career, you need to understand what's the next step, like in two, three steps going to look like. And you need to collect your data points. So, for example, for me personally, right, uh, it's not like I want to become at some point a chief people officer, but I connect with chief people officers and I want to understand how they think, how they problem solve, what kind of challenges they have and all collect all these data points, right? For you, the same, right? You don't just talk with one career coach and you go with them. Collect your data points. Talk. There are so many people who offer their services. Talk to 10, talk to 20, talk to 50. Like discovery calls are free, right? And this is, again, you can abuse the system that way and get a lot of free advice. And that's the problem with advice, right? When it, because it's free, it's not necessarily going to be useful for you. Talk to 10 career coaches, talk to 15, talk to 20, and pick the one that you feel like your gut going to say right. That's the person who gets things done. That's the person who speaks from the heart. That's the person who truly cares about their craft and about their reputation, right? Yeah, a good point. Like, I'm all for vetting 
the proper career course would work for you. But there's a but there's some professionals out there that they just want to get all these discovery calls and get all this free information. The thing is that they're trying to get this free information, but they're not actioning it. And so they don't have those data points to see what works or not. And then once they get all this information, they might try one or two things and then they're frustrated. Like, I wasted all this time talking to these career coaches, but they didn't action <laughs> it and action it over a long period of time. 100%. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with that. I don't work with everyone and I understand like, I'm not a, I'm not a sugar donut for two. And even if I was like, there are some people with diabetes, like no one, not everyone's going to like me. Not everyone's going to like my approach. I can be very blunt, very corporate, very direct, but I'm not going to sugarcoat things. And that's okay. There's going to be uh, someone else who will show more sympathy, for example, or I don't know, and I'm going to babysit you or, or whatever. But that's fine. Again, find the person who's going to work for you, who's going to be right for you. But you as a career coach, I don't know how you do it. I don't work with everyone. And I say, I'm going to go 150% for you, but I'm going to require the same from you. If you don't give me 150% commitment, there's no point because at the end of the day, it's your life. It's your career design or if it comes to life coaching, it's the same thing, right? It's you do you want to transform because what what you come to understand through the coaching experience is that people transform when there is there there's always battling of two pains when the pain of remaining the same becomes bigger than the pain of change that's when people start to change right when you understand okay there's the pain of change i can overcome it but i, I cannot look myself in the mirror anymore that's when the real change happens that's a good point. So for example, let's say someone's struggling with the job search. So they'll take action by doing some discovery calls with potential career coaches that they'd be working with. But then let's say they don't want to spend the money. So they're more comfortable in, in a way, they're more comfortable staying where they are than taking a small investment risk because every investment there is a risk involved, but it showcases to me that if you're not willing to take that extra step because they Calling someone a randomly in a discovery call is easy, but actually taking that action, there's a lot of uncomfort in that. And a lot of people end up just deciding to stay comfortable and trying to do it on their own again, even though it doesn't work, but they still continue to do what doesn't work because in deep down, they feel more comfortable in their safe zone. Yeah, and I don't know how you do it. Like, I don't know how you close your clients. I don't do any closing, right? I'm probably doing the opposite of closing, like anti-closing. Hey, like, here is my job here is to provide you with maximum value, maximum. We have like 30 minutes of discovery call, for example. My job is to squeeze maximum value for you. And then it's your choice. If you want to work together, let's let's talk more and let's discuss further steps. If, I don't know, some coaches would say, hey, yeah, you think I'm expensive? Like now let's say you don't know what to do and you're going to stay without a job for one, two, three. And some people, and I know people who've been out of job for six months, 12 months in the country. How expensive that's going to be for you? If you put things in perspective, people are more negotiable in that sense. Yeah, for sure. So you said you've looked at a lot of resumes and what are some, what's your advice in terms of making a good tailored resume to increase your response rate? in the job search process? My advice is understand the job, right? Read the job description. It's there for a reason. Every bullet on the job description can be transformed into a potential question on the interview, right? And that's going to happen. At all. Probably you can look at first five bullets, right? Many times you will look at the job description. The first five bullets basically explain what the job is. Look at the qualifying like requirements. Right. Let's say if the job 
tells you, hey, for example, for accountant role, we need a CPA. Sorry, we need a CPA. That's a requirement from the business. I'm not creating those job descriptions. So understand that uh, yeah, some things will be disqualifying. If the job says, hey, this role is hybrid and you, we need you three days in the office, and that I ask a question, <laughs> are you okay with hybrid work three days in the office? And people say no, but still apply. We need you hybrid. If you don't want to show up, and what are you hoping for? That we're going to change our minds? So there should be this kind of thought process for you. How people will, again, perception engineering. How do I engineer that perception that I'm exactly that person that they're looking for and more, right? And you position yourself like that because, again, A players, right? People who A players, top performers, they never come from a position or from a stance of being a job beggar. Hey, please give me this job. I'm a problem solver. If I come to the company, I would say, you're the ship. Your ship has holes and you're taking water. What I can do for you, I can fix your holes and put the sails and boost up the morale on the team so everyone rows and smiles, right? That's That should be the mentality. And it can be projected from even from the resume, right? In recruitment, we call it so-called achievers pattern. If you have a high achiever, it doesn't matter where you put them. They can be, in, I don't know, if a person is... Hungry, humble, smart, super driven, organized, can absorb knowledge. You can, I don't know, you can put them in the building, clean toilets, and they're going to be the best cleaner of toilets you've ever seen. That's probably not my best analogy, but you get the point. You will see this achievers pattern that regardless in any role, when they went, even the roles are all over the place. You will see that they have progressed and their drive and their hunger and their ability to learn and adapt they brought them these achievements. They've done something with it. They took the role and they squeezed it and made the most of it. Like you achievers, they shaped the role. Yeah, long-winded answer, but that's my perspective. All right, so yeah, so basically when it comes to resume, like another thing I want to bring up is, yes, you have to really tailor your application with the, to the job because like you said there's a good chance that a lot of those interview questions that you don't know what's coming is probably going to come from the job app. So that's a good resource to study. The other thing I wanted to bring up is that professionals don't want to customize the resume for every single job because they think, oh my God, there's so many applicants. I don't have time to spend hours customizing every resume for every job application. So what's your advice on that? What do you want to do? You want to stay in your comfort zone or do you want to get a job? That's my question. And that's all. That's, I think it's pretty, pretty straightforward after that. What's important to you? If you value, if you truly want to be in that company, in that capacity, and you're driven by the chat, like you want to make an impact and you're excited by the challenges that this opportunity presents, then I think you step out of your way, right? I remember, uh, yeah, when I was in my previous job hunt, I was preparing for an interview with the, with the VP of people for four days. I've researched every single person on the team. I've listened to podcasts like we are doing right now, extracting golden nuggets and how I can make an impact and what kind of problems and what they have it didn't work out did do i regret it not at all i've built extremely good relationships actually with the talent partner there like he moved on already i don't know how many times i moved on already how many times but we're still in touch and we're still good friends and this is what i'm talking about when i talk about building relationships with people because they transcend companies sometimes and yeah you can get value from people it's a, it's like in SaaS industry right lifetime value 
<laughs> lifetime value for people with Max. Max, how did we meet? It was just so super random. And, uh, no, I and think still, I met through a uh, Leaf, right? Was it through a Leaf? Yeah, it was through a Leaf, but it wasn't LinkedIn. I met a Leaf on LinkedIn. I've met you on LinkedIn, and then like, how many years passed? So it's already third year. We're still friends. Still. You deliver value to me and uh, giving me this opportunity to speak to so many people thanks to your massive audience. I'm super grateful. When's the, when's the last time you talked to him? Like he's done, he's moved on to like more marketing stuff. But what's the last time you talked to him? Alif, uh, I always check in with him. He has a birthday like the, right the next day after, after me. His, his, his birthday's right next to each other? He, yeah, his, mine is on August 10th. He's on August 11th. So I called him. Unfortunately, I couldn't join. Yeah, but uh, I checked in, in a couple, in one, two weeks. He checked in. He read my post. He's like, what the hell, man? You blew, blew up my mind again. And uh, yeah, like again, co- constant exchange of value. And he, because of his network, like I've met so many great folks, like just like yourself, young, driven, hungry, like game changers, like lots of, lots of stuff. I, I'm pretty sure you already know, you're, you're familiar with many names, people yeah. who are blowing up on LinkedIn right now. Yeah, yeah. We had a. Uh, I remember this Google chat we had us three, and then Daniel Lanton. And we yeah. Were, and I think Alif was saying, "Oh, hey, we should make a bet on who can hit 10k the fastest." <laughs> I've blown past it, and none of you three have even. They are not close to the 10k, right? That it shows how hard it is to stay consistent on content for sure. Hundred percent, yeah. And uh, I think it's uh, for me like I came to the place of balance. I think it's important to to be consistent but also be consistent with quality. And on the second thoughts, probably not oversaturate the platform with yourself, which I don't know, that's probably not my problem and I host. But the lesson from that conversation is that Daniel also, I checked in with him, how is he doing? But he said, you know what? I've, I secured a place with the company and I went all in and I stopped posting on LinkedIn and I thought, okay, I'm going to give my soul and heart and energy to this company, but I'm not going to develop anything myself. And oh boy, am I regretting this because the opportunity unfortunately closed down. The role has been terminated. He was uh, let go. I think he's very happy and he secured a new role, but he said, hey, I should never stop. Like you should always, your network is a safety net. So to whoever is listening take notes you need to always invest in your personal brand yeah he actually i actually invited him on my podcast to tell me to share that story that you just shared oh nice all right yeah he did that a few months ago yeah just again like you said like he was building his brand on linkedin and then he just stopped once he got the job and then he got let go and now he's not even on anymore either so it's kind of like he dropped everything (laughs) awesome it's unfortunate but yeah it shows how hard it is to pick something back up after you've been gone for so long. 100%, yeah. Like after that break, like it took me a while to pick things up and, I, and probably still. But again, what are you doing this for? All right, if you're doing this for numbers, you're in the wrong kind of game. If you're doing it to serve people, yeah, you're going to stay consistent 100%. But uh, yeah. It's not about the outcome. Yeah, process is the goal, right? Yeah, if, process uh, is the goal. Process, process is the goal because... The, it's not, yeah, I think Alan Watts said the same thing, right? If you're dancing in the hall, right, the purpose is not to get from point A to point B in, in the hall. The, the whole dance is the purpose. So enjoy the dance, right? Your podcast is going to be like several million people in, in, in a few years. And you're going to say, you're going to look back at 2022 saying, hey, remember these crazy days? It's about the process, right? So job seekers should enjoy writing a ton of co- ton of resumes. They should enjoy writing cover letters. They enjoy optimizing the LinkedIn profile, right? It's not about the tactical stuff. I think you, you should enjoy building relationship with companies, building a relationship with other people who can potentially will become your tribe, will become your team. And, and all these things, these are like resume and LinkedIn and all that jazz. This, these are just tools. 
of how you do it and how you do it like tools that make us efficient right like this zencaster application yeah we can meet each other and we can do the podcast in person but we're saving time because there are tools right in the same way be philosophical about it yes like these things are unpleasant and Trust me, like I understand this is the most grueling, the most soul-sucking activity. Job hunting is the most soul-sucking activity that can be, right? And this is why it's so important to have your own philosophical stance about it that, hey, like people over-dramatize it sometimes, but I think in the old days, you wake up, you feel like crap and you're just like, hey, today I feel like a cow turd. I guess it's just a bad day and you move on. But there will be days like this, right? Never always be always stay fueled by your vision, even both like negative vision. What's going to happen to me and with me if the, if I don't do these things, right? And positive vision. This is just temporary, right? It's a flutter. I think it's called a flutter in, but the when the plane, you know, the supersonic planes, when they started build them, no one was able to overcome the barrier because when before you hit the supersonic barrier the plane starts to shake so much that the pilot inside thinks it's going to fall apart and they just remove the the feet from the gas pedal until someone did someone pushed through this and i think job hunting in many ways is like this you have to keep pushing the gas even if you feel that your plane gonna fall apart you're you're tougher than you think yeah I, for me like when i was job searching as a new grad uh, it took me 11 months to get my first job. It, was, it wasn't that high paying either. But yeah, it was, it, you definitely need mental toughness in the job search process, especially if you were laid off and haven't job searched in a few years or you're a new grad with not a lot of experience. Some people thrive of it, to be honest. Some people, like I just got before, before our podcast, I had a call with one person who's also exploding on LinkedIn right, to pick up his mind on something. But he said, yeah, this layoff, it sucked, right? I'm really, it, it was painful and it came like, almost... It unfortunately didn't come out of a blue, but he said like, one of the most beautiful things that ever happened to me in my life because it opened him up to so many opportunities. To, and finally, you know, sometimes you cannot muster the courage to go independent, but when you don't have any other choice and that's, you're either going to swim or you drown, you finally, and for some reason, find this ability and power in, 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 inside of you to, to, to float and to stand float and to swim. Right. Yeah, like the human mind is a beautiful thing because if you're really stuck in the corner, you can't push through if you set your mindset. Hundred percent. Like I think I share it with many with many immigrants myself because that's my story. And I say, what is the intentionality that you bring into this game? Because your intentionality will like will give birth to your intensity. When the, my intentionality, when I came into the country, I say like, there are only two options. I'm gonna I'm gonna die. Or I'm gonna succeed here. There is no other way. Like I'm not going back. When and I see a lot of people who come here and say, "Well, oh, you know what? Yes, I'm an immigrant, but I always have another option. I can always go back to my home country." Remember why did you come here? And uh, I think you people say, "I'm in a disadvantage. I'm a newcomer. I don't have Canadian experience." That's not your disadvantage. That's your edge. That's what gives you this intensity and sharpness. Because people who were born here, many of them, they take many things for granted like clean water, clean air, peaceful sky above their heads. Look at the war in Ukraine. We know like just standing on this land is a privilege. And when you accept it with gratitude, but with gratitude without being complacent, because gratitude can be bad for you too. Like too much gratitude. And if you become complacent, you become soft. 
But beating yourself up can be bad for you, but it also can be good for you because it makes you move in a certain direction. So keep moving. <laughs> Whoever is listening, keep moving. Exactly. In terms of to going back to the job search portion, right? Yeah. You said you source candidates. So what do you look for particularly in a LinkedIn profile? As I said, the first two things that I'm going to look at is a qualitative and quantitative component, right? Like how many years of experience? Because years of experience communicate the level. And we say, and I put it on my guide, you can look it up. For example, the framework that we use in our company is Radford label, Levels, R-A-D-F-O-R-D, Radford. And it basically, you can Google it. It's uh, open source, right? Zero years of experience, entry level, couple of years, that's a developing level. Career level next, five to seven. After that, it's advanced. After that, it's expert. And after that, it's principal. And for managers, it's same. It's a t- so team lead, supervisor, manager, senior manager, director, senior director. And after that, it's executive, right? VP, SVP, and C-level executive, right? So years of experience tell us the seniority. Quality of experiences, I'm going to be actually looking at what have you done. That's why it's so important to have these bullets, right? That, that tell me what is the quality of the experience because not necessarily years communicate the seniority. I'm going to be looking at, again, this is why it's so important to, uh, to have LinkedIn profile as well because resume doesn't have a voice. Resume is like a snapshot, but your LinkedIn gives you this opportunity to use your voice and tell your story the way you want. Storytelling is the most powerful skill that you can learn. It's available to everyone. Right? Storytelling is in sales, and which, again, job hunting is, right? I'm going to be looking at that. I'm going to be looking at, it depends on the role. If there is a, any licenses required, going to be looking at that. Any portfolio, going to be looking at that. If you're a developer, and again, if you say you're a person who can develop a website, you don't have a personal website, that makes me ask questions. So all these things, whatever, everything that supports your, your ultimate goal, right? It should be on your marketing. And then the last part is the cover letter. There's always the debate of whether recruiters actually read it or not. Just thoughts to people write a cover letter when it's optional? Cover letter, I also posted a video because I get asked this question so much. I posted a video on YouTube. My question, my sorry, my answer is yes and no. And I'll explain why. No to cover letters that is, it's in a completely archaic practice. No like mile long letters, one, two pages saying, oh, how very motivated you are. I don't know how motivated you are until I talk to you. Like to see your drive, I need to see your communication. But yes, to cover letters. If the company gives you an opportunity to pitch yourself, absolutely take the opportunity. But it should be, again, short, concise, and answer three questions, right? Again, who who are you professionally? What can you bring to the table? And uh, yeah, you can probably add to like, why are you so interested? Why this particular company? Why not any other company, right? Because everyone wants to feel special. We want people to who come here and not to collect paycheck. We want people who want to make a difference and who feel that their personal mission in life is aligned with the, with the mission of the company. My personal mission is very much aligned with what I do with my line of work. My, I'm a connector by nature and my job is to make everyone happy and make everyone achieve like next level and next degrees of freedom that they want to acquire. Yeah. And just going back to what you said about like alignment, right? That's why if you get rejected at your company, it's not nothing personal. You might not be aligned to what we're looking for. And that's okay because it's better to find something that you actually align better with than trying to shove yourself in a job because you want a job. 
100%. It's a very complex equation, right? You need to look at everything, like and compensation being only the part of it. But are you actually up for a challenge? If you're looking for more balance, if you're looking for, I don't know, less pressure, probably that's okay. That's fine. That's not what we provide here. We solve extremely complex problems and we hire extremely smart people to solve them. And that's fine too. Again, as I said, the whole purpose of talent acquisition, we acquire the talent that will be successful here but you can be successful anywhere else. And speaking of storytelling, you said storytelling is an essential part of building your personal brand and in the job search. So you do all the screening calls, right? So what are some mistakes that a lot of professionals make in the screening call with you? Same mistakes, I would say, as people do with writing and with overall communication, lack of clarity, Lack of coherence, lack of cohesion. Probably you got education here, so you've done a lot of these essays. But can you connect the dots? And can you communicate with clarity and precision? And by precision, I say, can you say more by saying less? Can you actually answer the questions? The foundation of communication skills is listening. Do you actually listen to the question? Do you actually understand what's being asked? And do you address what's being asked? That's the most important thing. Number one thing is to... This is what I talk also about. Again, listening skills is the most important thing to understand the question and give the answer to the question. When I talk about precision of communication is when your communication becomes too tangential, right? Like you just, we call it rambling. You start talking and talking. Lack of awareness. Sometimes a recruiter will stop you, will give you some cues. Like, yeah, like maybe you need to take a pause and do a little ecological check-in. Okay, are you still with me? But some candidates, I'm just curious. Like I would... They would start talking and they go on 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I would just sit here and I was like, okay, how long can you still go? And that's interesting. People can go for a very long time without even really caring if you're listening or not. Storytelling, you've mentioned storytelling. That's your most powerful tool. Tell the story. How have you progressed? How have you grown as a professional? What kind of career choices have you made and why you made them? What was the motivation? If you failed, tell us what, 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 when you failed and how you failed and what was the lesson from that failure. If you've succeeded, we want, yes, there are some people out there who have unconscious competence, right? They're so competent, they don't even understand why. But we also really appreciate people who have self-awareness to tell us when they're consciously competent, when they say, I am successful because this is my formula and this is my process and this is how I get things done. As you tell your story and you progress your story and connect to your current situation, this is what's happening in my reality right now. And how does it organically connect to the next step, which is the opportunity that we're discussing? I think these things and people who I've talked to and who have extremely high interviewing skills, they have this pattern. They can tell their story in a very organic, very cohesive way. But most importantly, they're very good listeners. There's, there's some common mistakes that you, I'm assuming that still happens, even though it's shocking to me. I'm assuming you ask people what you know about our company and they can't answer it. Yes. What's, and again, it depends. At my level, it's not so crucial. When the candidates can say, hey, you want, when, when, especially people who are employed, right? No, I was wrapped up with a project. I didn't have time to research. But even then, but it communicates something because it's very important to understand. A players, top performers, they don't look for jobs. They look for career moves. And you cannot make a strategic career move if you lack information. That's why everyone who, is a, who considers himself and who is a top performer, a high achiever, 
they always super, super, super prepared, extremely prepared. Why? Because they, it's for them, it's, I don't want to say life or death situation, but that's a, it's a life-changing decision. And this is why I don't take my job lightly because like I literally, like, yeah, sounds probably very pretentious, right? But talent acquisition partners, recruiters, they change lives. And this is why these many relationships, they transcend years, right? Because you make a good career, you help someone to make a good career decision that would change their lives and help them build their wealth, wealth of skill set, career capital, just capital, right? Network and knowledge and wisdom. They're going to be grateful to you forever. So that's what's important to understand. If you approach it like this, hey, I don't care what company to work for. Are you being strategic? That's the question. Is that where the job hopping comes in? Because I, I know people that job hop, like let's say, they stay at a job for a year and a half, maybe two years top, then they go somewhere else. And then a couple of years later, they go somewhere else. So are they just looking for the next job and not really can move? No, the money plays a factor, but what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's really depend. I think there is no such big stigma on job hopping right now just because of the peculiar time that we are living in. Again, every equation is very unique. I don't come with assumptions. If there is a pattern on the resume and I see that, and it depends on the role as well. But of course, there's going to be a certain bias created. If let's say you're an account executive, you're in a role and I can see that you stayed in three, four companies, but less than a year, that clearly communicates that you didn't perform. Because if you perform, if you hit your annual quota, it probably you stayed. But again, I don't want to assume things. I want to hear your, that's why storytelling skill again is so important. I want to hear your story. Give me, if there, if you understand, if you have self-awareness and understand that there is a job hopping pattern, will you be able to provide thought process that lies behind that, right? 100%. Would I say that it's not a good choice for many people? Yes, because in many roles, look at, for example, another level, director or VP, right? You can't do, like, it's a strategic level role, right? It's a strategic role. In order to implement a strategy, put a strategy in place, implement a strategy, execute on the strategy, you need to see two, two, three years at least to see how it all plays out. You can't do anything in one year, right? If you stayed in a role in one year, like, what, what have you done there as a, as, an, as a director or as an executive? So it's a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I don't want to be too broad. I think job searching, I think the job hopping is more prevalent for let's say entry level and maybe a bit mid-level. But once you, as you said, once you get to the very higher level roles, you don't see job hopping as often because as you said, it takes a few years for the strategy to actually implement, right? Yeah, like my, my, my initial reaction to, the, to your comment would be like, it's still an assumption because you, you see all kinds of things happening. Like I can see things that happening at sea level that I would expect to see, at, as you said, like developing entry level, the type of kind of behavior in the candidates. No assumptions. Every equation is unique, right? We'll look into every equation. My comments only, personally for me, number one, if you're looking for a meaningful career, meaning comes from commitment, right? It's, yeah, we always make this analogy with dating, right? Yes, you can go, you can date around, but your the true meaning will come from a committed relationship when you have a spouse, and you're 25, 30 years together, like my parents, how many, 35 plus years. That's crazy. But that's where the meaning comes from. Meaning comes from commitment. On the other hand, how does your partner treat you? If you feel undervalued, if you feel under, underappreciated, money is only one component, right, the, uh, of the equation. But what else does the job give you?
yeah a, a bit of a vague answer but <laughs> you yeah, again like money's like the bubble salary initially is great but then novelty is going to wear off and then there has to be more than just the money or you're going to end up being unhappy and you're going to start looking again 100%. Like I, I speak with talents and, and again, as a candidate myself, like I, I can attest to that, right? Like you can tolerate being paid under market if everything else, other components are so good. If you have an amazing team, you can probably tolerate that. Amazing team, amazing culture. If you're working in a great company, that's, you can tolerate that. And luckily, I think always it's very important, especially when it comes to culture, you always need to ask yourself that question. Is that the kind of organization where I can... With my own effort and my own energy, I can turn the culture around. If yes, then probably it makes sense to stick around for a bit. If the answer is absolutely not, it's no matter what I do, you can't do anything about this culture. Yeah, probably you need to strategize and come up with an exit strategy. Money is only one question. And again, candidates of all levels, absolutely, from entry level to VP level, executive level, they will all say the same thing. I was getting paid especially at higher levels. Like my compensation was that high, but that culture made me absolutely miserable. There's no amount of money will be able to justify that. There are more things to this, to life than money. Money money will come if you leave your purpose. Exactly. There you go. Uh, absolutely. And like Steve Jobs says, you can't do good work if you're not passionate about what you do. Bingo. And the reason why I invite you on this podcast during this time is that September and October as our prime hiring seasons. So what is some... To end our conversation, what are some job search tips for that you can provide to listeners that are looking to make a move in the fall? Hustle right now. That's going to be my number one because I remember in myself, right? Where it was November. I finished my, my, my contract. And yeah, unfortunately in Canada, winter, very cold, hibernation. And November, December, January, like things will start to melt off probably what like march april you don't want you don't want this gap right now if you ask me yeah you're saying like the time is hot right now within the fall in our world the time is hot always it's just yeah probably december and january is going to be sleeping season so that's going to be number one number two preparation is 50 60 percent of your success is prep how do you set up your marketing with the right messaging? How thoughtful you are in your approach. Number three, yeah, don't be a don't be a job seeker, don't be a job hunter, be a company hunter. Approach a company, build a relationship with them, communicate why exactly you want to work for them and why them and them only, and build a relationship with people. And number four, follow the right people, the right podcast. <laughs> Chan with the plan and Chan with the plan. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't sound that right. It was better in my head. But uh, I don't have a plan and you don't need a plan. That's my message to you. You need commitment. Less planning, more action and more more thought into what you put into action. Yeah. Plans are, use- plans are useless if you don't action them. Yeah, 100%. And uh, that's why, again, most of the most successful people that I know, they, will, they definitely have strategy in place, but they also know that like two, three-year plans, that's the horizon. And then you have to pivot anytime. Your ability to navigate the life and be adaptable, be a chameleon and be, I don't want to say cockroach, but be an adaptable animal. We are the most adaptable. Like human beings are the most adaptable animals. Be adaptable and adapt to what's happening. Because, yeah, we live in a time when the entropy is extremely high. So trust, trust, trust the God, trust your mind, work hard. Everything's going to happen. Great. And 
you've obviously had a very interesting career trajectory as we've discussed earlier in our conversation today. So I asked this question to all my guests at the end of our conversation. What has been one big career challenge that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? It's a good question. I don't have an answer for you because I think I'm thinking retrospective. And I think in retrospective, even in the present moment, the things that we find challenging right now, in the future, we're going to be looking back and all the toughest times, the hardships and the adversity, we're going to look back and we, it's going to be our badges of honor. I went through this tough time and I survived. I remember when I was job hunting in, like in November 2020, 2020, and then like winter 2021, when we started, it was tough. And as I said, that's why I understand completely that's job hunting is the most the hardest and toughest and the most soul-sucking activity that you can do. You just do the apply, apply, and nothing in response. So that that's the challenge. But looking back, I understand why it has happened, right? I've You come to, personally, that was for me, right? Like you, I came to the new understanding of what gratitude is and what's the role of gratitude in my life. And that you still need to continue working on that perception engineering. Even if you're jobless, don't be unemployed. I was I didn't have a day job, but I, I, I never stopped hustling. I had two, three side gigs, side hustles that I invested myself into. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because yeah, that's unfortunate, but that's the time we're living in. Like basket can be dropped. Yeah. I saw a lot of layoffs right now the past few months. Yeah. That, that, that's unfortunate. Yeah, very unfortunate. But it's we'll see how we'll see how this recession plays out. Honestly, that's the reality right now. No one knows how it's going to play out. It can be, it can be shallow. It can be deep. Hopefully, hopefully it is shallow, and we're going to recover very quickly. And when we recover after each recession, if you look historically, it's, it's a boom. Right after that, it's going to be there's going to be an explosion of growth and hiring, and lots of beautiful things going to happen. So. Look towards that future and build your own personal vision that's aligned in that with that future and work towards that. And if someone wants to hire you or reach out to you to help for you to help them build that future, how do they, how can they contact you to learn more about what you do and how you can help? I'm on LinkedIn. If you read my about section, all my contact information is there. Ask Max, he knows my number. <laughs> Great. Again, I appreciate the time, Chingir, and Hope you have a good and strong fall. Same to you. Thanks a lot for having me. And to whoever's listening, God bless. Take care. Max, to you too. Thank you for what you're doing. Good luck. More power to you and all the best on your mission. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.